it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It's Friday, June 24th, 2022. This is the Guy Benson Show coming to you live from New York City and the worldwide headquarters of Fox News. Thank you for tuning in every weekday. 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. That's when we air. We also have a podcast that is free on demand every day. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. That's the one-stop shop for the show. All the items that you might need right there. GuyBensonShow.com. Follow us on social media at GuyBensonShow, Twitter, and Instagram, where we tell you about Bonus Benson on the weekends, which is part of that free podcast product. If you're new to the show, we're glad to have you here. I'm political editor of townhall.com and a Fox News contributor, host of this program, of course. And here is the lineup that we have today. And in fact, before I tell you who we've got, let's start with a Fox News alert. And this news that broke this morning, the number one news story in the country driving the cycle today. The U.S. Supreme Court, on a vote of six to three, has overturned Roe versus Wade, the abortion precedent from 1973. It has been controversial, to say the least, for these roughly 50 years. And now Roe and its subsequent alteration case, Casey from 1992, they are both out. Those are no longer the binding precedents in the United States of America. The Dobbs case is now in upholding Mississippi's abortion law at 15 weeks, barring most abortions after 15 weeks, and then going a step further of ending Roe versus Wade and Casey versus Planned Parenthood. Huge, huge news. News that we knew was coming because of a leak out of the Supreme Court, an extremely rare, shocking, really unprecedented leak a month and a half ago. And upon reviewing what the court decided, Essentially, what was leaked to the public is what the decision now is. So there's been this rolling process of reaction and anticipation for this Dobbs decision today. But nevertheless, it did come down. A lot of folks, including people in the know and people who very carefully follow the court, they were expecting this decision to come early next week. The court still has, what, seven cases left on the docket this term. A lot of people expected this would be the very last one to come out. Not so. They dropped two cases today, the second of which is Dobbs, and then went home for the weekend. Although apparently many of the justices are not at home because of the threats and protests that have occurred outside their homes. Their private residences where their families live. I have many thoughts to get to, and I will, but as promised, here's the lineup. Shannon Bream. I can think of no one else at Fox News that I would rather have to walk us through some of the legal aspects of this than Shannon. She will be here later this hour. In the next hour, we will kick things off with Katie Pavlich, our friend and colleague here. 
We are also anticipating Brett Baer, the anchor of Special Report and the chief political anchor at Fox News, in our middle hour. Then in our final hour, 5 p.m. Eastern and beyond, Carrie Severino, constitutional lawyer, former Supreme Clerk, Supreme Court clerk to Justice Thomas. She was on the show yesterday. She's back today because there was a big guns case yesterday and then this really momentous historic abortion case being rendered and handed down, at least publicly, this morning. And then at the very back end of the show, Kat Timpf, our friend, will be here on subjects unrelated to the top news of the day as we try to head into the weekend on a somewhat different note. So there's a lot to get to, a lot to throw at you. Let me just try to lay out a number of my thoughts here. Number one, and I sort of touched on this already, weirdly, there's an anticlimactic feeling to a certain extent this morning on the impact of this decision. Because we sort of did, and I made this point on television earlier, a dress rehearsal for exactly this set of circumstances at the very beginning of May when that leak emerged from the court. So under typical circumstances, this would have been a black box. No one would have known what was coming. And as we got closer and closer to the end of the term, the speculation and the intensity would ratchet up and grow more intense, more vitriolic in some cases. And I think everyone would have been on pins and needles. As it happened, though, with the leak, it's been almost a rollout of this outcome that people have become acclimated to over the course of the better part of two months now. Now, that doesn't mean that the volume or decibel level will be turned down. You're going to see marches. You're going to see more protests at justices' houses. You're going to see more threats, unfortunately. You're going to see big, pitched legislative battles on Capitol Hill and across the country in the states, which is where this whole element, this whole issue set has been sent down to, if you will, restored to the states. And that's a key point that I made. And there's like this sense of deja vu. So many of the points that I would be making right now for the first time I made back in the first week of May when everyone was effectively treating the leak as the decision in a lot of ways. So many of the points that I made about the impact of Roe versus Wade being overturned, what it does and does not mean, some of my personal, ethical, scientific, moral arguments on abortion, we've been through that recently on this show because of the leak. I will, I'm sure, get to some of those points again and reiterate them today and in the days to come. I said at the top it was a 6-3 to three decision, which is true. In some ways, it was 5-1 and one and 3. You had the three liberals dissenting, no surprise. You had the five conservative justices in the majority opinion. And then you had Chief Justice Roberts who ultimately joined the majority. So it was six to three, but he wrote his own concurrence, which made it clear that he wanted to be more incremental and just uphold the Mississippi law, the 15-week ban, without going further on Roe versus Wade. 
which is not surprising given the way he has approached the job, the way that he has approached his chief justice duties and responsibilities. Whether that was really going to be a tenable solution, something that was sustainable, I have very serious doubts. I kind of understand what he might be thinking here. Seems more political than legal to me. And perhaps we will get some thoughts on that from some of our guests coming up later on the show. But five to one to three, shaking out as a six to three ruling here. Now, we mentioned this back in May. And there was a Wall Street Journal piece written about this by a progressive law professor thought it was actually pretty courageous of him to write this piece, but he was referencing a number of other people, including the late Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who famously through the years had expressed public concerns about Roe versus Wade, its reasoning, the way it was formulated, the way that the justices, then 7-2 to two majority, came at that 1973 decision, effectively inventing, writing into the Constitution— a right to abortion nationally. That is not what the case was. That was not the status quo before the early 70s. The court wanted to just basically impose its will on the whole country and settle the question. It has been anything but settled ever since. And so when you look at the actual legal arguments around it, there have been some supporters of abortion rights, people who are in favor of legalized abortion, who nevertheless have looked suspiciously at Roe at the way that it was crafted and the shaky, very shaky legal ground on which it was built. Of course, conservatives all along have argued that it was wrongly decided from the get-go and the issue was robbed from the political process, from the states, from the elected representatives of the people. That has been my view, that Roe versus Wade was wrong from the beginning, wrongly decided I'm a pro-life person in addition to the constitutional side of things. And now I think this is a day, a historic day, that pro-lifers have been working towards for decades. It is okay if you are pro-life and you care about this issue to be on some level ebullient today. To appreciate this, the justices getting this right. But I think it's also important to think about this. The question of abortion is not settled now in this country. It's just back to the states. A lot of states will have legal abortion all the way through the entire pregnancy for any reason. Paid for by the taxpayers of that state. I think that's gruesome. I think that is inhumane. But that will be the reality in a number of states in this country. Then you'll have other states with more permissive laws, and then you start to see different levels of restrictions, like Florida's law at 15 weeks, Texas's law at six weeks, and then you'll have other states effectively barring almost all abortions. It will be a tapestry across the country, state by state. And moving the needle on this will become a hearts and minds campaign, not just focused on one white whale, Roe versus Wade at the Supreme Court. That's now been dealt with. In some ways, the harder work is now. Not just at the legislative level in states around the country or potentially at the federal level, fights in Congress about this, fights in state legislatures, but also just person-to-person, relationship-to-relationship 
friend-to-friend dynamics within families, helping to foster a culture of life. I think being satisfied today if you're pro-life is correct. Being fully satisfied, I think, is naive. And I think gloating is a huge mistake. There are a lot of pro-choice Americans. Let's set aside the hardcore radical pro-abortion people. Right? That's a separate category. There are a lot of pro-choice people in this country, friends and family members of mine, listeners to this show, who are very nervous today. They were nervous when the leak came out, and they've got a pit in their stomach right now. And I think spiking the football in their faces is not what this moment calls for at all. Are there ways that people might be able to come to a reasonable compromise area, at least in some purple states, because that's what might be required? I think we should have trepidation. We should have respect for each other. We should have a desire to not rush to battle stations, even though that is so often what we do in modern American politics. I think some humility is in order today for the victors, the pro-life side of this. I've said many times on the show, the reason that I'm pro-life, and I understand there are some pro-lifers who are more conservative than I am, who think that I am too moderate on the issue. I have certain exceptions and carve-outs, and I look at different laws and proposals differently than they do. Overall, I err on the side of life because I get that there are competing rights here, the rights of a woman and her bodily autonomy and the rights of another person to not be killed. And the crux of the abortion debate is at what point do the rights of that second person, it's not just about one person's body making decisions about her body, it's also the other body, the other heartbeat, the other unique composition of DNA. At what point is that life legally protectable? That is going to be how this debate plays out, I think. That is ultimately the discussion here. One other point, when a couple gets pregnant and they make a joyous birth announcement or birth-to-be announcement, we're pregnant, and people are thrilled for them, that person is treated as a life. That's treated as a baby, not a fetus, not a clump of cells. And I understand that. I think we all sort of understand why that is. It's, it's an exciting moment for those parents, for that mother. I don't think that the wantedness of a human life determines her humanity or his humanity. Whether that life is wanted should not be the moral determinant of whether that's a life worthy of protection. That is part of what informs my thinking on this. And I understand there's some gray areas, different points of pregnancy and that kind of thing. I'm open to those conversations. We, we all have to be. That's the reality in this country right now. I have a lot more to say on this. We're just getting started. We're going to be covering this topic for most of the show today. If you're just joining us and you haven't been paying attention to the news today, well, here's the big one. Roe versus Wade struck down as expected by the Supreme Court, six to three. And in many ways, the debate, the discussion is only beginning. 
as is the Guy Benson Show. On this Friday from New York, stay tuned. Guy Benson will be right back. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Guy Benson, back on the Guy Benson Show. I was talking about, just before the break, some of these... Moral lines, ethical lines, scientific lines that people draw in their own minds and eventually make their way into law as we debate issues around abortion. When is a life a life? A life worthy of protection under the law. People will come to different conclusions. Some will say the moment of conception. Some people will say a little while after that, the moment of implantation. As others will say, how about the heartbeat starting around six weeks or after the first trimester or when the baby can feel pain in the womb? And then others will say birth, in some cases, truly extreme cases, slightly after birth. That's the spectrum. People land in different places. Under our system, I would rather have the people and our representatives having those debates messy as they will be, and drawing some of those lines as opposed to a handful of unelected, unaccountable judges just decreeing from on high what the national policy will be based on a fabricated right. That's why I was in favor of overturning Roe versus Wade, which has happened today. A few predictions. These are pretty easy predictions, I think. We'll get a ton of polling on abortion. In the coming weeks, you will see majorities of the country in favor of Roe and against this Dobbs decision. You will also have majorities in favor of significant limitations and restrictions on abortion that wouldn't have been allowed under Roe and Casey. And sometimes those issues get mixed up in people's minds. So those will be complex and often contradictory data points. You will have laws being proposed and passed at the state level, some of which are consensus, some of which are more extreme. The left extremism will be ignored by the media. The right extremism will not. And there will also be an effort underway to subsidize travel for women seeking abortions to states where it's widely legal, New York, California, Illinois. Abortion tourism. That's the next round of this. A few more thoughts from yours truly when we come back. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Roe. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Back on the Guy Benson Show. Supreme Court deciding today that Roe versus Wade has been uprooted in the Dobbs case, a 6-3 to three decision, although a little bit more nuanced than that. I understand that sometimes trying to follow what's real on days like this can be overwhelming. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of anger and shouting and people posting things on social media. 
What I'm trying to do is distill down what matters and think clearly while also putting my own biases out there for your consideration. That's what we're trying to do today on a very significant day in our history. We heard Democrats furious about what happened, unsurprisingly, as they were when the leaked draft came out. They are again pushing this idea of codifying, quote-unquote, Roe versus Wade in law in Congress. The issue is, as I talked about in May, the bill that they put forward— that passed the House and narrowly failed in the Senate, doesn't codify Roe. It goes much further than that. It is extremely radical and extremely unpopular when you look at what the American people want. It's abortion on demand for the entire pregnancy for any reason financed by taxpayers. That's their position. And it's shared by, in most polling, less than one out of five Americans. Like it's in the teens percentage-wise of who supports that. Now, what some Republicans are going to do in some states is arguably overreach in the other direction. That overreach will be covered and punished by the press, whereas the Democratic overreach rarely is because journalists are overwhelmingly biased on this issue. They are extremists in favor of abortion. They support the radical stuff that the Democrats want to do and sort of treat it as a non-story, whereas they are horrified by the mirror image of that on the other end of the spectrum. That's a fact of life. It's something that lawmakers need to consider. We've also heard from people on the left, a, whole, a particularly on the left, not exclusively, but a parade of horribles that might ensue because of this ruling and not just at the state level on abortion and by the way on that front just a quick note i saw my governor governor glenn youngkin in virginia he put out a statement today in support of what the court has done and saying that he's going to push a new law in virginia that would more or less limit the mississippi law that was just upheld a 15-week ban with exceptions for rape, incest, and to save the life of the mother, which actually is a little bit more permissive than the Mississippi law. And I've seen some people very up in arms and angry. Here goes Glenn Youngkin. He campaigned as a pro-life candidate, by the way. And what he has proposed, what I just described, that 15-week proposal with those exceptions, that is basically the definition of mainstream and consensus. I know that a lot of people believe there's no such thing as compromise. If you want to think about where most people are in this country, actually, and the people on both ends of this polarized situation won't like a law like this or a bill like this or a proposal. But look to Europe. Across Europe, generally, between 6 and 15 weeks, that's the cutoff over there. That is a mainstream view in the Western world. We, in some ways, have been an outlier in the world in how inhumane and permissive our abortion laws have been. What Yunkin is proposing in Virginia is similar to Mississippi, similar to Florida. That is actually something of a mainstream consensus idea. Now, the thing is, the abortion lobby will treat that almost as indistinguishable as like the Oklahoma law, banning almost all abortions because they don't want people thinking in shades of gray. And you'll have some pro-lifers saying Virginia doesn't go far enough. 
What Youngkin is proposing is a sellout. He should go further. I understand the arguments. But if we want to come to a place on a very difficult issue where a lot of people can at least say that's not crazy, let's at least start with this part of the conversation. I think what Youngkin has put on the table makes a lot of sense. Now, that parade of horribles that I was mentioning, and we addressed this back in May after the leak. A lot of this is retreading that ground. Well, they say now it's Roe, but next comes contraception. They're going to come after that. They're going to come after gay marriage and LGBT rights. They're going to come after interracial marriage. These were some of the talking points on CNN, for example, earlier today. Speaker Pelosi in her irate press conference was talking about how they're going to pull down contraception and the right to privacy. Justice Alito, who wrote the majority opinion, explicitly said, no, there's a difference between abortion and what abortion does, ending a human life or potential life, as opposed to and distinct from those other issues that I just listed. We talked about Chief Justice Roberts and how he wasn't willing to go quite as far as the other five conservatives. What people aren't looking at as closely is what Justice Kavanaugh wrote in his opinion. Justice Kavanaugh went out of his way to double down on what Alito wrote. And going even further, he cited Griswold, he cited Eisenstadt, he cited Loving, and he cited Obergefell on privacy, on birth control, on same-sex marriage. And he said explicitly, overruling Roe, I'm reading, does not, his emphasis, does not mean the overruling of those precedents and does not threaten or cast doubt on those precedents. Seems like he's drawing a line saying the slippery slope that some people are talking about, I'm not going to be a part of it. Roberts wouldn't be either. Gorsuch expanded. He wrote the case in Bostock expanding LGBT rights recently. I think there's fear mongering happening on that front. And Kavanaugh, to my previous segment point about so-called abortion tourism, Kavanaugh preemptively says in his opinion, states cannot punish or prevent people from traveling freely within the United States. So he's tipping his hand on a few other issues in today's ruling, and I think that's significant. We'll be right back. As we continue here on The Guy Benson Show on this breaking news day, the Supreme Court overturning Roe versus Wade, which was a precedent of nearly 50 years on the divisive issue of abortion. Here with us now is Shannon Bream, chief legal correspondent here at Fox News, also anchor of Fox News at night, every evening, midnight on FNC, also a best-selling author. And Shannon, it's great to have you back here on this extremely busy day for you. We are grateful that you made some time for us. Guy, always a privilege to be with you. All right, let's walk through the nuts and bolts of this decision itself. We saw the leak back in early May. And the only big question looming over this process in the ensuing weeks was, would the final decision reflect the leak from Justice Alito's draft opinion? The overall answer seems to be, yes, they are extremely similar. What can you tell us about that? Is there any element of surprise to what we saw today based on what was revealed back then? You know, not to me. Of course, at that point, you're waiting for the dissents to see how they fold in. And then the majority, when it gets those, 
has a chance to respond to the dissenters. So those things are, are new, but really the, the line of reasoning, the lining of, of the votes, um, not a surprise. I, I, we had thought all along that the chief would probably do exactly what he did, which is say, I would have upheld the Mississippi law, but I don't think we need to go near Roe. That was not a part of the original question in this case. But clearly the other five thought that this was uh, the right time, the right vehicle to have that conversation about whether or not Roe was rightly decided, whether there is a constitutional right to abortion. And those five votes stuck together, uh, you know, amid very intense internal and plenty of external pressure on them. That's um, right. You know, there had been a lot of call to get this opinion out, feeling like, listen, these votes don't matter until it's an official opinion from the court. Um, and so now these justices who all have uh, around-the-clock protection, their families as well, and I can tell you most of them are not at their homes, um, I, I think that they will be able to now move forward, but, but knowing there is still a long-term threat to them because of this decision. In the text of this opinion, the majority opinion, the concurrence there that you mentioned from the chief, and then the dissenters, the three liberal justices, is there anything in particular that jumps out at you? Because it's a 6-3 decision ultimately, mm-hmm. right, because mm-hmm. – Roberts went along with this. He didn't join the dissent, but he also didn't fully, with bells on, join the majority opinion in some respects either. What does that exactly mean? I guess it doesn't really matter because five to four, they would have had the same outcome regardless, Mm -hmm. but it is six to three, at least on paper. Just curious what you are noticing now that you're actually reading through this thing. Well, a couple of things. You know, the left, um, listen, smartly, they don't have anything they're pulling very well on right now going into the midterms. In fact, you know, the White House, the president's upside down on almost every major issue. So right away, you see um, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, and the president talking about you're going to have to vote on this this fall. Everything is in danger. Um, It's good for them. I mean, it's good politics for them. And and it's smart. Of course, you would take this opinion and use it to fundraise and use it to warn voters that they need to get out there and support Democrats. Um, so not surprising to see that, but there is a, a lengthy discussion in um, within the, the decision. A couple of things: the left is going to say, "Okay, they're coming for contraceptives, they're coming for same-sex marriage, all of these other things." Mm-hmm. And Justice Alito, as he did in the leaked opinion, that's still in the in the final opinion, goes to great pains to differentiate those things and to say that they're not going to be an issue. They're different than abortion, and he does not think that their jurisprudence with abortion should apply to those things. He he made it very clear in both that draft and in this final opinion. So that's something that people really need to spend a little time with, drill down on. Um, But he also talks a lot about the fact that Roe, um, of course, he's going to argue, was wrongly decided, but notes that there are people across the political spectrum who thought that. Um, We've talked about how even the late Justice um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg worried that Roe was not rightly decided and that the underpinnings were going to be vulnerable to attack like this. And that's exactly what happened. So now what? I know this comes down to the states. We're seeing Mm -hmm. press conferences from politicians saying we want to do this. We don't want to do that. The Republicans are already pointing at the Democrats bill, which passed in the House, failed in the Senate. That was, I think, by any real definition, absolutely extreme. You could say perhaps there are laws or bills in the other direction that are extreme, but they haven't been endorsed by the entire leadership of the Republican Party. That's not the case on the Democratic side where they have this. Basically, unfettered nine-month abortion on demand paid for by taxpayers position that Republicans are saying now that this is back to lawmakers and representatives, we need to make sure that they can't impose things like that. And so I think some of the fundraising and some of the 
appeals to get out and vote are going to cut both ways on this heading toward November. And then there's also the question of the staying power here, Shannon, because this is what I want some of your perspective on. Let's say under normal circumstances, the leak had never happened because it was so shocking and unprecedented in nature. It would have in the normal course of the way the court operates, something like that would never have happened if that normalcy had prevailed, if the leak had not occurred there would have been an absolutely enormous buildup of anticipation to this case and then an explosion of reaction on all sides. But I feel like that's almost been sort of dissipated and then spread out over the course of a month and a half where there was the big initial burst in response to the leak and then this rolling reaction over weeks. And now it becomes official today, but it's not really a surprise the way it would have been. It just... I get the sense that the whole feeling of this is, again, different because of what happened in early May. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. It almost sort of softened the blow of what the shock would have been potentially with this opinion. Um, So there has been time to sort of digest. Both sides probably knew what they were going to get. I hadn't heard about any vote slipping. I thought I would have been you know, reading some kind of tea leaves that something had changed. So I think people pretty much thought that this was going to stay in line with the draft opinion. So there have been weeks of protests. There have been weeks of people outside the justices' homes and, you know, the publication of schools and churches where their kids go and and all of this. Um, But there has been a bit of people digesting it, I think, over the last few weeks and saying this is probably the new reality. Um, A number of states were already acting to have these so-called trigger laws. Some of them kick in today. Some of them are going to extremely limit abortion. Others are going to say you can do whatever you want through nine months. Um, So it truly has sent us back to the states. They were prepared for this. And so I think you'll actually see changes at the state level are already kicking in. Some of them had future dates of implementation over the summer. um, But the states are not wasting any time in either direction. Yeah, And that's where I think a lot of this debate on this issue will shift by necessity. That's, in fact, the whole point of the Dobbs decision, that this is up to states. It was never a constitutional right, even though it was treated as one because the court fabricated one, in my opinion, back in 1973. So for the better part of five decades, that was a right in this country. Many people thought that that was wrong throughout that period of time. And now a lot of their work has come to fruition. And it doesn't make abortion go away. It doesn't make abortion illegal in the United States. It just reverts back to a scenario where states will make these decisions on their own and you will see different standards in different places. That's the new reality. It's not a blanket ban on abortion in this country. And that's something that I've said before. I will continue to say because there are many people, it seems, based on my own social media feeds, who believe that abortion just became illegal in all circumstances everywhere in this country, which is just not true. That's inaccurate. And a lot of people have worked very hard to, I think, push that misinformation and create that impression for many years. And we'll see if the truth is able to filter down here uh, in the coming days, weeks, months, etc. Shannon, I do want to ask you this because the court isn't done, right? A lot of people were expecting nine cases left coming into today. Maybe we would get five today, four on Monday, the last one perhaps being Dobbs, and then they would be done. In fact, we only got two today, one that Very few people are paying attention to. It was a 5-4 weird split on another issue. And then, boom, here comes Dobbs. That means that there are seven remaining 
Do you think that they're going to try to get seven opinions out the door on Monday? What do we know about that? And what is still at stake? What cases are left to be announced? So we will get opinions 10 a.m. again on Monday, but that will not be the last day. The court has indicated that there will be additional day or days. Okay. So Monday will not be the wrap. But I think, you know, some of the biggies we're watching on the Remain in Mexico immigration policy from the Trump administration that the Biden administration has been fighting to get rid of. That's a big one. Um, There's a big agency power one involving the EPA, how far they can go um, with certain restrictions and regulations. And one familiar to your listeners and our viewers will be also Coach Kennedy, the high school coach out of Washington State who lost his job after refusing to stop praying on the 50-yard line after games. That thing's been going on for years and years and years, and he's finally going to get a decision. Yeah, so you had really the big two, the double whammy, guns and abortion this week. But next week we will still wait on EPA regulations, immigration, and religious liberty. So they're not done yet, and there's a few big ones that Shannon just ran through there, and we will be looking at those and covering all of that as things come down next week as well. But the big news today, of course, the Dobbs case is exactly what we expected it to be based on the leak in early May. Roe versus Wade has been overturned as the law of the land, and the issue of abortion has been returned and restored to the state's and people's representatives in the political process. Shannon Bream, our colleague and friend here at Fox News, at the Supreme Court, working extremely hard today. This is sort of what she was born to do. She also hosts Fox News at night, every night at midnight, Fox News Channel. Shannon, again, thank you so much. My privilege. Have a great one. You bet. Another hour of The Guy Benson Show is coming up. When we come back, Katie Pavlich is here with her reaction to all of this. It is The Guy Benson Show. Stay with us. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. It is a brand new hour on The Guy Benson Show from New York today. Thank you very much for listening. Every weekday, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time and around the clock on our podcast, which is free of charge on demand. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. GuyBensonShow.com. You can also go to FoxNewsPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. That includes Bonus Benson, by the way, on the weekends. It is a very busy news day. With the Dobbs case dropping this morning... A lot of people expected it next week. It arrived today. And joining us now to further discuss is Katie Pavlich, editor at townhall.com, my colleague there, and also a Fox News contributor, my colleague here, also my friend. Katie, it is good to have you back on the show. Welcome. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I want to just get your take as a young pro-life woman. I know that often this debate over abortion is co-opted by people with one vantage point especially when they speak on behalf or purport to speak on behalf of women and tell men that they can't have an opinion unless it's their opinion as well. I just want to give you the floor and see how you're feeling on this monumental day. No matter what you feel about it, history has been made. Yeah, so I'm so grateful for that question because so often in this country, uh, the left tends to 
not tends to, they, they always say that women as a group are being persecuted or this is something that all women disagree with. And the facts are that there are a lot of women in the United States of America who are pro-life, who are celebrating the overturning of Roe today for two reasons. And they don't necessarily go hand in hand. Some women would say that they are in favor of one or the other, but the, the two reasons are that a, this is bad law. Roe versus Wade has been bad law for 50 years. It should have never been um, put into, you know, the the permanency of what we've seen over the past five decades of of abortion policy, just based on the fact that abortion is not found in the Constitution. So I know a lot of female lawyers uh, who, and including Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett, by the way, today, who just fundamentally believe that abortion is not in the Constitution and therefore. Roe versus Wade had to be overturned based on that fact. The other side is the, the pro-life uh, fact of this. The, the activists, many of which are women, most of the pro-life organizations in the country, or March for Life, Susan B. Anthony List, uh, and others are led by women who believe that life starts at conception and that this federalization of abortion law not allowing states to uh, make their own decisions about protection of life uh, is something that they believe wholeheartedly should have been overturned on the basis of morality and human decency and, and protecting life in America and what that means as a country. Um, so for me, you know, I, I think it's a combination of both. Uh, I, I, I reject often the emotional appeal to codify things in law if it doesn't state in the Constitution that it should be there. Uh, and I also believe that you know, life is a precious thing in America that should be uh, protected. And the left, unfortunately, likes to erase that opinion for the sake of their own agenda and, quite frankly, uh, for money for organizations like Planned Parenthood uh, and political power in the Democratic Party. Where do you think this all goes from here? Because we've had a lot of predictions on all sides that this would be a catalyzing event. It will change our politics. It will change the election cycle. I don't know. It's possible. I think we had similar expectations or at least projections months ago or I guess weeks ago when the leak came out where they said, "Okay, this is the game changer that Democrats have been waiting for. Didn't really play out that way. Here we are. The actual text of the decision very closely mirrors what we were expecting. Do you think that this has a lasting impact on our politics, I think on some level it must. But in terms of the election cycle and other things that people are looking at heading into November, does this have a lasting mark? Well, I think I think long term it does in terms of this is now a state issue. Right. They're, they're, the pro-life activists will have to go to the states and spend their positions. Now, in places like Mississippi, for example, or Alabama or Oklahoma, where a lot of these uh, – where the ruling today – means that abortion is essentially banned in those states, or at least is very limited to the 15 weeks, which is what we saw in the Dobbs case with Mississippi, you know, that that changes abortion in those states. But in other states, you know, in places like New York or California, for example, I think they'll just get more radical about what their abortion policy is and allow abortion up to the moment of birth or even uh, in issues of infanticide, I think that we'll see. In more complicated politically diverse states like Arizona, for example, which is becoming more of a purple state, or Colorado, or Florida, uh, North Carolina, New Hampshire. Um, I don't necessarily think it'll be a top political issue, but I think at the local level, 
you know, activists will have the same clash they've been having on the federal level for 50 years at the local level and defending their positions on what it, you know, what kind of regulations need to be in place uh, in terms of state law. Uh, now, between, you know, the issue of, of what's going to happen now and between now and November, um, I think it will be less about abortion and more about mobilizing the violent left to try and intimidate people ahead of an election. We see this pretty much every election cycle. I know that Julio Rosas, who is our reporter at Town Hall, is, is, is reporting that the, the Washington, D.C. police have been completely activated uh, in, you know, in the aftermath of this ruling. We've heard from the Department of Homeland Security over the past month since the leaked draft um, came out that they should, that, that churches and uh, pro-life institutions should expect more um, attacks and violence um, and of course, it's just appalling that Merrick Garland, the attorney general, came out today to of course, to say that he doesn't agree with this opinion, but said nothing about uh, preventing, you know, violence that we've seen against these pro-life organizations. So I'm not sure it will mobilize um, enough voters ahead of the midterms to change the outcome of some kind of red wave, just given the political landscape. Right, everything if else. Inflation wasn't, if inflation wasn't so high, right, if, if we didn't have all these other problems, then yeah, maybe people could... Uh, focus on this issue. Um, but the bottom line, Guy, and you know this, is that this does not ban abortion. <laughs> it returns abortion to the states. And I think once people realize that, if if the media is honest with them about what that means, um, and as you've written at Town Hall as well, you know, people actually prefer that this issue be dealt with at the state level. Um, so I think that the normal thinking, logical people will come to the cl- conclusion that this is not a hair on fire moment in the sense that the left is trying to make it be. And now pro-lifers have a lot of difficult, important work to do at the state and local level because it's about winning Mm -hmm. hearts and minds. It's not just about winning one court case, which simply restores this issue to the state level. And so the idea that the job is anywhere close to done and all of a sudden it's like, okay, you know, it's the victory everyone's been waiting for on the pro-life side. That's true only to a point. And then really the work begins anew in a very different way tomorrow. Also on your point on the threats, the intimidation, it is gratifying and relieving to see that despite everything that they attempted on the hard left over the last month and a half, it didn't work in terms of intimidating the justices, giving anyone cold feet, having anyone pull out of the decision or altering what the leak showed. I think that is an example of that institution holding After it was given a gut punch by someone, we still don't know who that someone is in terms of the leaker, but they threw everything that they had from picketing at private homes, doxing justices, an assassination plot. None of that deterred the court from doing its work here. And I think that's very good news. Katie, before we let you go, one of your most passionate issues, perhaps the most passionate issue for you personally, was also the source of a huge controversy involving the Supreme Court yesterday, the New York case on guns and the Second Amendment. I would be remiss if I didn't take this opportunity to ask you about that case, its implications and your reaction, because it was only a few hours ago that everyone was still hair on fire about that case before Dobbs dropped. So quickly, your thoughts on guns, the Second Amendment and what Justice Thomas wrote for the majority yesterday. Yeah, so essentially, you know, the Supreme Court ruled yesterday that may issue laws, which is basically if you go to a if you go to a, a state or your local sheriff's department or whatever, and you want a concealed carry permit, you have to prove that you need it, right? So you have to prove that you live in a bad neighborhood or whatever. 
the Supreme Court essentially struck that down yesterday and said that you have a constitutional right to carry a firearm outside of your home. Um, and I loved what Justice Clarence Thomas said because um, he said the Second Amendment is not a second class right. It is a first class right. And so much of the discourse and, and debate that we have in this country and dishonesty surrounding the Second Amendment really does treat the Second Amendment like it, it can be infringed upon in more ways than the First Amendment or other amendments, for example. And that and yesterday's ruling proves that that's just not true. Um, in terms of the implications, the left is saying this will make the country more violent. They, of course, always conflate criminals with firearms uh, in the streets with law-abiding citizens. Concealed carry permit holders, there are millions of them across the country. They are the most peaceful, law-abiding people uh, we have, and they, you know, they purposely submit themselves to well, the this. Well, Katie, this uh, so standard, just to jump in, this standard that you're talking about, right, criminals aren't going to be like, hey, I want to fill out a permit so I can go commit crimes. These are very law-abiding people overwhelmingly. But the status quo that has now been applied to all 50 states and the District of Columbia in yesterday's case was already the standard intact in place in 43 states, right? So there's not some Wild West, what is this going to look like scenario? That was the vast majority of the country already. Well, and it it gives people, for example, California is freaking out because essentially this ruling could threaten nearly all of their laws when it comes to concealed carry and firearms transport. Um, And so it gives people in those states their Second Amendment rights back. And and just to tie these two topics together, we heard from Nancy Pelosi this morning saying she can't believe the Supreme Court would uphold, you know, the constitutional right of gun owners, but not the constitutional right of abortion. Well, the Second Amendment is actually in the Constitution. That's right. There's no right to abortion in the Constitution. So they are separate issues completely. And, of course, they're conflating them in this weird way. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just interesting to me that always, you know, the people who have all the Second Amendment protection, you know, outsourced by a private security firm, firm or whatever, are perfectly willing to allow uh, regular Americans to go without their Second Amendment rights. And the ruling yesterday was a huge step um, to restoring those rights for all Americans, no matter where you live. Yeah. And there were people making the point that yesterday's ruling did not strike down or threaten background checks. It does not mean that people who had been convicted of crimes and felonies all of a sudden could just conceal carry legally. This did not impose conceal carry for anyone without any regulation whatsoever in the country. That's not what this did, even though that's what a lot of the commentary, it's sort of cast it as and framed it as, that's also not true. So I feel like there's a fair amount of fear-mongering on both of these questions, yesterday and today, where the outcome is being spun in a certain way to almost maximize freakout among some people, including misinformation. I think that's also telling. Yeah, the dishonesty surrounding these two issues is always sky high and through the roof, especially in the aftermath of a loss for them. Um, but yeah, you're right. You know, there's so many people saying, oh, the Supreme Court is now making it easier for people to use guns against other people. Um, it allows people to carry firearms outside of their home, which is a constitutional right. Nothing has changed in terms of what the rules are or the laws are in your state about what you are allowed to do in terms of self-defense. It doesn't change stand ground laws. It doesn't change any of that. It simply codifies the Second Amendment and the right to keep and bear arms, not just inside of your home, but outside of the home as well. Katie Pavlich is my colleague twice over at townhall.com and also here at Fox News. A very significant day and another big one yesterday, which is why I wanted to get that Second Amendment case in as well with Katie, who has written and spoken so much on that issue set. And then, of course, today, 
the abortion case, guns and abortion back to back at the very end of this week. I mean, it doesn't get much hotter in terms of hot buttons. And Katie, we were very grateful for your time today. Always enjoy your insights. And I look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks so much for giving me the opportunity, guys. See you soon. Katie Pavlich on The Guy Benson Show. We will be right back after this. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. I'm Guy Benson. We're back on The Guy Benson Show. I want to build on a point that Katie Pavlich made in the last segment that Carrie Severino made yesterday. And we've got Carrie scheduled later in the show again. She's returning as a constitutional expert. But one of the arguments, one of the points that we have heard from a number of people on the left or progressives is that the Supreme Court and people who are hailing both decisions yesterday on guns, today on abortion, these people are all hypocrites. And they are applying completely opposite standards in order to get the outcomes, the ideological or political outcomes that they want. That's the accusation. I will say a lot of the freak out, the meltdown, the recriminations, the anger is a phenomenon called projection, Freudian projection. There has been a lot of projection over the last 48 hours. People attributing to the other side what they themselves often do and are eager to do when they feel like they are the ones who have the power to do whatever that might be, to achieve the outcomes that they want. Setting aside the projection, setting aside their hypocrisy, let's deal with the merits of the hypocrisy charge. The argument is in the guns case decided Thursday by the high court. The six justices in the majority decided that it was a national right to conceal carry, meaning there could not be this whole series of hoops to jump through for law-abiding citizens just to exercise the Second Amendment right that they're guaranteed in the plain text of the Constitution. So there were a handful of states, roughly seven, I believe, that were imposing unconstitutional, according to the court, restrictions and limitations on that right. But it was a state issue right here. You had states making and setting state law. And the Supreme Court came in and said, no, you can't do that in this case for these reasons. And then the very next day, they release an opinion that is fundamentally about states' rights and taking the question of abortion policy out of the courts, out of the tortured standards erected in Roe and then altered in Casey, throwing it out of the realm of the courts and back into the political realm for the people and their representatives to decide. So how can you say it's about states' rights here taking away a previously constituted constitutional right, but on guns, you're saying, no, that constitutional right is way too important for the states to limit in these ways. Isn't that hypocrisy? I think that Objection was rebutted very succinctly by a writer named Ala Pundit at Hot Air. That's his nom de plume. Here's what he wrote yesterday. Quote, there's a written right to keep and bear arms reflecting a practice that was widely regarded as legal at the founding. But there was no written right to have an abortion, which wasn't widely regarded as legal at the founding. The right to keep and bear arms, the Second Amendment, is literally embedded in the text of the Constitution. 
abortion as a so-called right never was. The court invented one in 1973. It was wrong on the law in the opinion now of the majority of the court, belatedly but finally, and now it's up to the states. So on guns, you were dealing with a codified, bona fide right under the Constitution, with abortion not so, which is where the state's rights issue comes in. So hypocrisy, I understand why some people are making that claim. I think it's wrong on the merits, on the substance, for the reason that I just explicated. The Guy Benson Show continues right after this break. We hope to have Brett Baer right after this. Stay with us. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. It's the Guy Benson Show on this Friday. Thank you for tuning in. GuyBensonShow.com for the free podcast every day. We welcome back to the show now Brett Baer, chief political anchor at Fox News, also host of Special Report with Brett Baer every weeknight at 6 p.m. Eastern, author of multiple best-selling books, most recently, To Rescue the Republic. Brett, good to have you here. Hey, Guy. So obviously a huge day, a watershed day in American law. And people were wondering when this decision was going to come down. A lot of the smart money was next week, but here it was this morning. One thing that struck me was watching people reacting on both sides of the issue. There were tears shed. People were crying on both sides. This is such a difficult emotional issue. And I think for that reason, perhaps we saw even though he took a very strong and I think wrong position on this, President Biden really focusing toward the end of his remarks today on peaceful protests, because I think they're maybe a little nervous and anxious about what they've already seen over the last six weeks. I agree with you. I mean, this is as emotional as it gets. Uh, If you read the opinion, you know, Justice Alito, uh, the majority writer, um, acknowledges that this is a earth shattering ruling in in that it has it overturns supreme court precedent it is in his words as big as some of the biggest rulings the supreme court uh, has done but what they did was really look at the words in the constitution to say abortion is not a constitutional right thereby we can't find it thereby it needs to go back to the states and to voters in those states as the founders envisioned. That's what they found. And it doesn't take away from the emotion. It doesn't take away from the the power of, you know, what people think about it. Um, but it, it does mean that this is going to go to the experiments of 50 states. Correct. And I think there's an awful lot of people who believe that abortion is now illegal in all of America, because that's what they've been told. Falsely, that's been the narrative out there, I think, intentionally seeded for a very long time, which is part of the reason why the Roe versus Wade polling is what it is. The reality, as you just described, is all 50 states will make their decisions and there will actually be opportunities for states to reflect values, whether you like those values or not on this particular question. You know, I was just chatting with Larry Kudlow on TV about this and he was jumping ahead to November. What do you think? Inflation, abortion, you know, what ends up being the dominant issue? And Brett, I said, I don't have a crystal ball. No one does. But I do have a memory. And we just went through this six weeks ago with the leaked draft where we kind of went through a very similar process of 
shock and awe and celebration and recrimination and threats and, and all of it, right? We kind of did a dress rehearsal is the way I described it earlier for all of this. And we saw some spikes in certain polling numbers and, you know, this, this salience of the issue coming up, then sort of settling back down as news cycles moved on, the fundamentals of the election cycle taking back over. I don't know if things will be vastly different now that it's actually happened, but based on what we saw in early May, that's my suspicion that we'll kind of see a similar pattern here. What do you think? I agree with you. I, listen, I've always said that I think that the biggest driver for elections is how somebody feels at the kitchen table, how somebody looks at their own economic situation, how they look at the gas pump, how they look at what they're do, buying at the grocery store, and how they feel about things. Now, for some races in suburban districts, where it's very purple, uh, red versus blue, uh, I think that you know the abortion issue could sway a couple of those congressional races um, if if the Democrats really motivate their base based on that issue. But just judging by polls where people say how they feel, what really motivates them, only 15 percent of those polled, and this is on an average of, of polls going back months, say abortion is a real motivating factor for their vote. 65 to 70 percent say the economy, inflation, how they feel about the economy is the driving factor. So I think that's going to take the the, the driving force. I do want to say this. You know, one of the things the president said was that this ruling uh, puts us backwards in, and sets us back in, in the world uh, as far as the modern world. In, in essence, what it did was give the states the decision, and if you look at European nations, yes. most of them have either a ban on abortion or some restrictions. Some of them are stricter than others, and that's basically what states will be able to do, whether they let it fall to term or they put some restriction, 15 weeks, whatever weeks, or they ban it. That's what European nations have been doing, and we've actually been out of step the other way. Yes, and yet— the Democratic Party repeats over and over again, like we're this weird global outlier, but in the exact wrong way. And I think many people in the media aid and abet that narrative because they happen to agree with it. They are out of step with the mainstream in this country and in the Western world, exactly to your point. If you look at a map of Europe and what their laws are, they generally range between what Texas's current law is and what Florida's current law is. And beyond that is really an outlier. That's what pre- Dobbs, America allowed, and I think we'll see some mainstream laws go into effect in a number of states and some out of the mainstream laws go into effect on both ends of this issue, depending on which state you're in. That's what's going to happen. And what we hear, Brett, sort of furthering your point a little bit in the president's rhetoric is a, a renewed call to codify Roe versus Wade. And they keep citing this bill that passed the House under Pelosi, didn't pass the Senate. And as I've said, I feel like till I'm blue in the face, that bill doesn't codify what Roe versus Wade or uh, the Casey decision actually allowed. It goes much further in a very radical and disturbing and unpopular way. Abortion for nine months for any reason paid for by taxpayers. That is not where the American people are at all. So when you were no. saying that some of these some of these swing districts could get swung on the issue of abortion, one area where Democrats, I think, are actually doing Republicans a favor is by endorsing their own form of radicalism where Republicans actually have a really, 
I think, potent talking point to come back saying, oh, really, if you want to talk about this, look at your party's bill. That's a pretty significant counterpoint. A hundred percent. Listen, I, you know, I asked uh, Tim Ryan running for Senate in Ohio about abortion and where he is. And I said, well, there's are there any stipulations? Are there any you know, guardrails? Do you have any time frame? You know, when you start going down that line of questioning, um, it gets really sticky mm-hmm. for some of these Democrats who obviously are not don't want to be out of step. They would be way out of step if it's abortion on demand up till birth. Uh, and that's where this gets, you know, really, you know, political and emotional. And but you're right. It could go the other way for some districts, especially in the middle of the country. Yep. I think overall the issue of abortion is is just a tough one. Um, and we're going to go through this, and it is what? It's June, mm-hmm. so we've got a long time to November. Yeah, and we just did it in May. <laughs> we did it in yeah. May, and then we had this protracted discussion about it, expecting what was going to happen today, and then it happened. So we're going through another sort of spasm of it, and I, I understand it. People, uh, people care deeply about this on both sides, but I do remember that interview that you did that you mentioned with now Congressman Ryan, who wants to be in the Senate in Ohio, I remember that interview very well. I was on special report either that night with you on the panel or the next night, and we talked about it briefly. He really did not want to answer your questions about any limitations on abortion. He was dodging like crazy, and ultimately where he landed effectively was no limitations, which is a a crazy, inhumane position that unfortunately about 97% of Democrats in Congress currently have or hold, even though they don't really want to talk about it very much. I think Republicans are going to say, "Okay, if you're going to say we're waging a war on women and, you know, back to that, let's talk about your position. That could in some of these races end up being a wash. It could end up being washed away by so many other things happening in the country. Yeah, that doesn't if make you go it down that road about those questions. It's 80, 20 the other way. Right. Most people say, no, 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 no. There's got to be some limitation. You can't have an abortion at nine months right before the baby's breaching. Or even five you know, months, six months. Five months, whatever the limit is. And so once you start going to that, you know, most people say, no, no, of course not. Well, currently, the way that bill is written, that's how it is. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very politically potent uh, the other way, too. Yeah. I think that overall – Inflation is going to drive the day. Yep. Inflation, gas prices, the economy, potential recession uh, or fears of a recession and and all of those things. It doesn't mean that abortion is not an important issue. It very much is. It is one of my animating issues as a, I would say, moderate to solid pro-lifer if you look at sort of my personal preferences. But I care a lot about it. It's one of the reasons why I am a conservative. But I also can step back. And get analytical and look at what's really moving the country. Can I and, can I ask you a question? Sure. I know this is your interview, but um, you know Clarence Thomas and his right yep. his opinion uh, references looking at other rulings, and San Alito says no, not to in the majority opinion. Um, there is this you know trope on opinion world that this opens the door. Uh, to reversing same-sex marriage, mm-hmm. to uh, co- contraception, to uh, minority um, mixed-race marriage. 
what do you see in that in that Justice Thomas statement? Yeah, because I saw a lot of people have sent me what what Thomas said about Obergefell and some other things, and obviously I have some skin in the game on Obergefell. Yeah, um, I truly and I try to stay very honest and open with the audience. If I felt that this decision were truly opening the door to erode same-sex marriage and the likelihood of that case going away, I would be very concerned about that, and I would be talking about it a lot on the show. I think that they are absolutely distinct issues. You see a lot of younger people, for example, being pro-life or at least very open to abortion restrictions but very pro-LGBT. I don't think that they're just a bundle package deal. People sometimes think of it that way. But when you see what Thomas said, I understand why folks are saying, "Uh oh, that seems like a bit of a red flag. In fact, I just saw someone posted an Instagram post with an attorney urging same-sex couples to get their stuff in order and, and brace for their marriages being thrown out. And I really, truly, Brett, believe, not with my heart but with my brain, that this is baseless fear-mongering. I think that there is one, and I I really like Justice Thomas. I strongly disagree with him on this. I think there's one, maybe two justices on this court who'd be willing to take a crack at Obergefell right now. I think there would be at least six, probably seven, who would want nothing to do with it. I don't think they would take the case. I think contraception is not even close to being on the radar. And the reason I say that is not just because I just have this spidey sense or I want that to be the case. It's because Alito wrote it. Into the opinion, Kavanaugh emphasized it in his concurring opinion in very explicit terms. Roberts obviously didn't even want to go this far. And Gorsuch authored the Bostock decision in 2020 expanding LGBT rights. So if I felt like there was a red flag here that was really concerning as a gay person who's married, I would be saying so. I don't think it's true. I understand why people are nervous. I don't think it's true. And I think some people are exploiting that fear to try to broaden out the concern and the outrage over this one issue, which they realize is complicated in a lot of people's minds, and try to make it like there's this huge onslaught of rights or against rights that's coming. I don't see that. And I hopefully made a somewhat persuasive case why. I agree. And that's why I asked the question because I knew you would. Uh, I agree with you 100%. I think Justice Thomas was making a point about looking at words in the Constitution for what they mean, you know, in his view of how to read the law. Um, But I do not see, and the reason Alito puts it in the majority opinion is because they don't have an appetite to touch any of that. And and to that point, Brett, and this is where I am just going to purely speculate, If you read Kavanaugh's opinion, and I actually quoted a little bit from it in our first hour today, it really seems to me like he was the fifth and reluctant vote to go along with the full overturning of Roe versus Wade. Obviously, Roberts wasn't there. Kavanaugh, I think, needed some coaxing, and Alito was willing to put that verbiage into the majority opinion to get Kavanaugh and maybe others on board, and Kavanaugh really went out of his way to say, we are not going down these paths. We're not. He said also, if red states want to try to restrict travel for abortions, that's not going to be constitutional in my view. I think he was laying down some markers here. So again, you need a certain number of justices just to grant cert to get a case before the court. I don't think they would get that threshold on a Burgafell, and even if they did, I think LGBT rights would be safe by a six to three or greater margin based on just some of these tea leaves that I'm reading 
in this case alone and some of the rumors about the inner workings and dynamics of the court. That's that is my honest to goodness best dispassionate analysis that I can give, given the fact that I am passionate on both of these issues, sort of in opposite directions to some extent. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you asked the question, Brett, because it's one that I'm getting a lot from concerned people sending me text messages, uh, text messages and DMs. So I'll allow it. Usually I ask the questions on the show, but I'll allow it. It was a, it was a great question, and I look forward to answering more of your questions on Special Report again very soon. That sounds great. Well, I like the answer, and um, I tell you what, it's a historic day, and people will remember when where they were uh, because these things happen only so often. So yep. it's a, an honor to be able to cover it. Well, thank you, Brad, and thanks for joining our coverage of it today. Chief political anchor at Fox News, anchor of Special Report, Brett Bayer, here on The Guy Benson Show. Thanks, Brett. See ya. We'll be right back after this. Fresh conservative talk, Guy Benson Show. It's the Guy Benson Show. Brett asked me that question the last segment about some of these other issues. And people are jumping from abortion instantly to the other issues. Contraception, in vitro fertilization, same-sex marriage. I really think it's a red herring. Let me read to you from the decision, from the Dobbs decision. This is Alito. Quote, what sharply distinguishes the abortion right from the rights recognized in the cases on which Roe and Casey rely, so he's talking about some of the privacy stuff and contraception, is something that both those decisions acknowledged. Abortion destroys what those decisions call, quote, potential life, and what the law at issue in this case regards as the life of a, quote, unborn human being. Our conclusion that the Constitution does not confer such a right, meaning a national right to abortion does not undermine them, the other cases, the other precedents, in any way. That's Alito. And then, as I mentioned earlier, here's Kavanaugh. Overruling Roe does not mean the overruling of those precedents, does not threaten or cast doubt on those precedents. He said, second, later on, as I see it, some of the other abortion-related legal questions raised by today's decision are not especially difficult as a constitutional matter. For example, may a state bar a resident of that state from traveling to another state to obtain an abortion? In my view, the answer is no, based on the constitutional right to interstate travel. May a state retroactively impose liability or punishment for an abortion that occurred before today's decision taking effect? In my view, the answer to that is no. So let's discuss the abortion case on its terms and what it means and not extrapolate wildly to other stuff in a way that is not supported by the facts or the black and white ruling from the justices today. Final hour of the Guy Benson Show coming up. Terry Severino next. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. Final hour on this Friday from New York. It's the Guy Benson Show. Welcome on into our last hour of the week. Thank you for listening. GuyBensonShow.com. That's our website. 
GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast always free of charge. No charge at all. On demand every day, including Saturday and Sunday. Bonus Benson over the weekends. At Guy Benson Show, my handle on Twitter and Instagram. That's the show handle, my personal handle, at Guy P. Benson. Busy hour still ahead on a very busy day. Final hour sponsored by The Finish Long Drink. As always, thelongdrink.com. Always drink responsibly, 21 plus only. I didn't get to this at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. It's just been so packed today. So let's squeeze in this Fox News alert with the Dow, which closed up 823 points today. So a surge on Wall Street to close out this week. The Dow ending today at 31,500. With us now is Carrie Severino. She's back. Very kind of her to join us again. We had a big case on guns to break down yesterday. Now another huge case on another topic, abortion, the Dobbs ruling. Carrie is the president of the Judicial Crisis Network. She was co-author of Justice on Trial with Molly Hemingway on the Kavanaugh confirmation, which I will actually ask her about here in a moment. Also, she clerked for U.S. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas Carrie, welcome back to the show. It's great to be here. Sorry there's no opinions tomorrow, so we'll have to go a day or two. <laughs> exactly right. There's, there's still a few more to come uh, next week. I want to pick your brain on a few different things, but before we get to any specifics, I just want to ask you this, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, and please correct me if my premise is wrong, but I would imagine that this moment today, the overturning of Roe versus Wade, is something that you have spent quite a lot of your life working toward. And if that's right, I'm just wondering, setting aside all the legal analysis, how are you feeling today? You know what? It's it's so funny because obviously, you know, my role as JCN, we're we're concerned with the legal aspects of it. But personally, I am pro-life. This is some an issue that I've cared about, uh, you know, by my whole life and working on since I was in high school. It's It honestly hasn't really sunk in yet. Even after the um, the leak, I feel like, We've known it was coming, but you couldn't really let yourself get too excited because you always knew it, 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 something, could, something could change. You know, the, the, the vote wasn't final. Um, so I feel like with all the busyness today, I haven't fully even had the chance to process it. Um, but it's, it's an incredible um, accomplishment on, on one level. It's, it's so good to know we have justices who are going to be faithful to the Constitution, who have the courage to stand up and face of just really incredible threats and violence and assassination attempts. Um, but for the pro-life movement, this is really only the beginning. It really just means, okay, now you have a chance to try to convince people, uh, to try to convince your legislators at the federal, at the state level um, of the importance of life. And so this is, is really, um, it's not the uh, beginning of the end. It maybe is just the end of the beginning, as Winston Churchill said. Carrie, what jumps out at you as you read the entire opinion? Because, of course, we got the leak, and you and I talked about it at the time. Now we have the chief's concurrence here. We've got some separate writing from your former boss, from from Justice Kavanaugh, and then, of course, the dissent as well. Are there any big points that you think are getting maybe lost in the shuffle a little bit today? Well, one thing that I, I've seen a lot of misconceptions uh, spread around about is what does the decision really do and what are the implications? I've heard people say, well, does this mean the end to 
you know, everything from integrated schools to interracial marriage. And you're going, oh, my gosh, there are some real mis- misconceptions being put out there. I had my, my own uh, uncle saying, now, this means that, you know, abortions will be outlawed across the country. No, no, it, that's not what it means. <laughs> you know, it, it, it means that the, that the uh, legislatures are going to get a chance to decide this. And the decision, the grounds on, on which the decision was made had, had to do with whether Roe is good law, with whether the Constitution talks about abortion. It doesn't. It does not include a right to abortion. And so um, that implication doesn't affect all these other decisions. And it's interesting that, you know, it continues to get fear-mongered because the, the opinion, the draft opinion went out of its way to say this. The new opinion goes even farther out of its way to say this. Justice Kavanaugh wrote a concurrence to say, and yes, here's all the things it doesn't do. So it's it's um, it's frustrating to see that being politicized. I, do, I, I just feel like we're going to hear AOC say it outlaws American apple pie or something next. You know? Do you think that your former boss, Justice Thomas, that we were just talking about yesterday, on who wrote the guns case out of New York, do you think that he actually is fomenting at least some of this speculation based on some of the stuff that he wrote in his opinion on this? Like you know, mentioning. A Burgerfell. A lot of my gay friends, mm-hmm. and I'm gay, look at that and say, uh-oh, here we go. I just spent a, a fair amount of time last hour explaining why I think that's overblown. But if there were five Justice Thomases on the court, I would be a little bit more nervous about that. What do you say to that? Well, you know, first first of all, before we had Justice Thomas's opinion, we had people saying the same thing, right? So they didn't need to have Justice Thomas saying it. And second of all, what Justice Thomas has uh, said in his opinion is consistent with everything he said before. He's always been very skeptical of substantive due process, and not because he, he is taking policy positions on any of those issues. And I think a lot of those issues, you know, we, when people are saying, well, we're going to outlaw contraception. I know of zero states in the union who ever, ever were comp- contemplating zero. that right now, right? right? So until they do that, the court wouldn't ever reconsider. It's just this is stuff that's not really likely to be on the, on the, on the radar. But as you, as you pointed out, there are not five Justice Thomases in the court. There was one Justice Thomas in the court. So his position on that um, is consistent with everything he has said before. That would still, like in Roe and all of those issues, throw it back to the state. Um, but at the end of the day, that's one vote. And it's and it's a position that isn't any different. There's nothing new or newsy there in that opinion because right. that's a position he's held for a long time. And it does seem like there is, in fact, a majority to overturn Roe, but also a majority not to overturn any of the other cases we're talking about. Yeah, and I think Justice Kavanaugh in particular seemed to be going out of his way in his in his opinion to uh, make that point. But and and again, the the majority opinion as well was very clear. We are we are not in a million years trying to touch any of these other things. And at the end of the day, if there are not five justices that we're going to say that, then, it, you know, I, I think it just amounts to people saying, oh, no, 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 this is going to happen. You know, no, this, it, that, that's not where the court is. And I don't think it's where um, the country is, where you're going to have laws that would even bring some of those decisions up to be challenged. Another thing that we've heard about today is a number of senators, including Senator Collins, saying that some of the current justices who she voted to confirm misled her or she feels deceived. And I've seen this already, you know, the clips being played of Barrett and Gorsuch and Kavanaugh all saying that Roe is settled law. And the argument is they lied. They lied to get themselves onto the court to then blow up settled precedent that they had previously said was settled. What's the response to that? Because it's absolutely true that they had said some of these things in response to certain specific questions. They also absolutely ruled out 
saying what they would decide if this issue were to come before them again. So uh, there's there's some nuance here and some distinction, but the non-nuanced sort of, you know, meme that's out there is these people lied their way onto the court in order to get this outcome that they wanted. What's your uh, your reply or response to that claim? Well, first of all, if they lied, then Justice Sotomayor and Justice Kagan lied, too, because they talked about the Heller decision, for example, the gun gun case as settled precedent. And then, you know, Sotomayor in particular, she got on the court and immediately voted the opposite direction. That's a very good point. At the end of the day, none of them really did lie because what they were saying was, this is settled law. That is correct. You know, some of the quotes that I've heard that people are getting upset about, Justice Gorsuch says, well, this case was decided in 1973, blah, blah. Well, yes, that's all fact. It it was settled law. But the point is, even settled law, if it's incorrect, can be overturned. And every member of the Supreme Court has overturned settled precedent. It's ironic, too, because Justice uh, or, or Senator Collins has commented herself as well that none of them made any promises to her, nor should they, nor could they as judges promise how they would vote. So maybe she was wishfully thinking, I don't think that he's really going to do it. I think I got the impression he wouldn't. I think there are people on both sides of this issue that that had their own hopes and wishes of what the justices would do, but they couldn't say what they would do. And we know that many times conservatives have been on the other side of that and said, oh, my gosh, I really thought the person would vote this way based on what they said. And they voted the other way because they can't promise how they're going to vote. So, you know, reading your wishful thinking into it, I can see maybe she's disappointed and maybe she thought it was going to go a different way. But he absolutely did not uh, in, in those statements promise anything and nor nor could he. And I think we just have to acknowledge that justices have to have to look at the at each case as it comes to them. And they're not going to go in and be a guaranteed vote. Carrie Severino, I want to ask you about a related story that I was planning on actually talking quite a lot about today. And then this morning happened that went out the window. But I'm sure you saw it. Wall Street Journal op ed earlier. It actually published last night from a few extremely prestigious, very well-known, well-regarded litigators, including Paul Clement, who have announced their resignation from their high-end law firm because they were representing Second Amendment clients. And I guess the law firm decided that based on internal politics or whatever, they no longer wanted to have clients on gun rights issues. Um, And so they basically forced these lawyers into an ultimatum. You drop your clients or you leave the firm. And these two lawyers penned an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal saying, well, we chose our clients because that's the ethical thing to do. It's also insane and bizarre to see a major law firm basically showing us the door, having just won a case at the U.S. Supreme Court, which is sort of like, you know, the whole goal of constitutional litigation and saying it's it's actually kind of disturbing to see big law going this left, this woke, where certain types of clients will not be represented by these firms. The counterpoint is these are private firms. They can do whatever they want. Um, This particular firm defended Jeffrey Epstein. So I guess they were okay with defending a serial child predator, but what not gun owners. It does get a a little sticky here. I, I wonder what you think about that. Is this a big shift within big law that we ought to be paying attention to? Yeah, well, you're right. They, they have a legal right to, to choose, not to represent uh, certain clients, obviously. But in this case, I think it's a very bad sign for how much um, 
sort of the same things we're seeing in, in woke capitalism seeping into uh, woke big law. And it's no surprise because law has been far to the left of American culture for a very long time. Um, but, you know, but you're right. These are the same firms that are representing Guantanamo detainees, Jeffrey Epstein, et cetera. And when when Paul Clement was recruited to join the firm, he w- he had his own firm. By the way, can we time. can we name the firm just so we can shame them a little bit here? Sure, <laughs> sure. Kirkland and Ellis. I mean, it was which has long been interestingly regarded as one of the quote conservative law firms in D.C. So that's that tells you even something more. This wasn't this wasn't a liberal firm. This was a firm that that recruited him to bring his whole practice in in, in and become part of Kirkland. Uh, and they knew it. He had all these same clients at the time, right? And so they, they it wasn't like, oh, wow, we didn't realize what we were getting into. No, you agreed. You understood oh, they wanted that it. this was who they were representing. And, of course, they wanted it because Paul Clement is like maybe the top Supreme Court litigator in the country. I mean, he's just won dozens of cases. He's, he's outstanding. So, of course, you want him. Apparently, and I love the title of their article because it was like they're tired of winning. All right. I guess you'd rather, um, you know— make a stand on these woke issues than actually have outstanding attorneys. But you know what? Paul Clement and Aaron Murphy, his, his partner, who is, in her own right is an outstanding Supreme Court litigator, they're going to put out a shingle and they'll, they will be just oh, they'll fine. Be, they'll uh, be just fine, but others might not be and others might stray exactly. away from this realm altogether. I think it, it has a chilling effect. That's the point. And again, if Kirkland and Ellis, if they want to say – the Guantanamo Bay terrorists, we're going to defend them on principle, right? Uh, Jeffrey Epstein, he might be disgusting and a child rapist many, many, many times over, but he has a right to be uh, to be defended, and he's got the cash to pay us, and we're going to do it. But law-abiding gun owners is a bridge too far. We won't go there. Uh, I think that that's actually pretty disgusting in, in my view, and that's why I want to at least raise this issue with you briefly. Very quickly, Carrie, before I let you go. We talked to Shannon Bream earlier in the program. She was talking about some of the big cases still to come next week, the the prayer case. Uh, there was also an immigration case. Any predictions quickly ahead of next week? Well, I think they could, they could get them all done Monday. I wouldn't be surprised if they had to add an additional day. But really, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic about all the cases this term. I think we're going to see a, a decision in the prayer case that protects religious freedom, just like the other one this week, talking about, uh, about school vouchers and protecting religious schools in that sense. I think we're going to see in the Migrant Protection Protocols case, and there's another important EPA case coming down. I think those two are going to have decisions that are going to be really important for protecting the separation of powers, making sure that the president doesn't have the authority to go beyond uh, what, what is, is – uh, given in the actual statutes that are passed by our representatives, that you don't have the executive branch and the administrative agencies just kind of going wild and making the laws um, themselves without without that actual legislative check. So I think those are I think it's going to be a really great term for people who care about the Constitution and the rule of law. Carrie Severino, president of the Judicial Crisis Network. She and Molly Hemingway wrote justice on trial. She clerked for Clarence Thomas at the U.S. Supreme Court. Two days in a row here, Carrie. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Have a good day. And The Guy Benson Show. Final hour returns after this short break. Please stay with us. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Back on The Guy Benson Show. It has just been a whirlwind today with the huge news coming out of the Supreme Court. And there have been crowds gathered. You saw as the decision was being handed down, there were demonstrators on both sides of the issue, chanting and cheering and 
yelling and all of it. And I know that a lot of the abortion groups and sort of resistance networks are planning protests and marches now. Not surprising. They did it after the draft opinion. They went to justices' homes. President Biden, I think, has been absolutely derelict in his responsibility as a leader of this country to urge peace, to condemn the doxing of justices. He has still not personally commented on the assassination plot against Justice Kavanaugh, which is just unfathomable to me. And I mean, a Republican president in the reverse situation would be hounded about it constantly. But today he did talk a lot about the need for peace in the streets and not upheaval and violence. And I hope that people will heed those warnings and those admonitions. Because, look, pro-lifers feel very strongly about this as well. There have been marches for 50 years on the anniversary of Roe versus Wade. Hundreds of thousands of people across the country. Peaceful protests. When people claiming to be pro-life have engaged in violence, it's been on every pro-lifer to say absolutely not. In not in our name, no. And in the flip side of this, that also needs to be the case. We cannot have violence in this country. We also need a reasonable conversation about what actually is and is not happening, not a bunch of misinformation out there. Unfortunately, the media is very much on one side of this issue. So it's hard to get a fair shake on the pro-life side. We know that. All right. Deep breath. Let's chill out, calm down a little bit, bring in Cat Timph next to close out the show. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. Back here on the happy hour on the Guy Benson Show, and it has been a pretty heavy program given what happened this morning, the Supreme Court overturning Roe versus Wade. We've been talking about it for two and a half hours. I've tweeted about it. I've written about this many times in the past. I would like to shift gears because we are on the backslope to the weekend, and I think three hours on abortion jurisprudence is a lot, even though it is, of course— a crucially important issue no matter where you stand on the overall question. Joining me here in studio in New York at our worldwide headquarters of Fox News is our friend and colleague Kat Timpf, Fox News contributor, co-host of Gutfeld every night at 11 p.m. Eastern every weeknight on Fox News Channel, co-host of the Tyrus and Timpf podcast. And hello, Kat. It is good to see you. Hey, I'm a little disappointed. I prepared a five-minute beat poetry on abortion. <laughs> Uh, my bongos in my bag, and you're just going to—no, I'm just kidding. I'm glad to hear it. I would lighten it up a little bit. I think so. That's what I do. I lighten it up. Well, there's actually something that I want to ask you about. I've been waiting all week to ask you about. It's about a different cherished right Yes. that I'd say you care about perhaps more than anyone else that I know. Vapes. Yeah. So I was looking at these headlines about the Biden administration, like banning jewels or something. And I was thinking, do I read all of these stories and find out what the hell's happening here? Or do I just wait 
and ask Kat because I know you will be hyper-informed on this question. I know everything about yeah, so, Okay, so walk us through what just happened this week on the jewels. So it's really ridiculous because obviously a, a years ago they banned fruity and sweet-flavored vape cartridges. I remember that. I was devastated. Um, but then I realized that there are still um, – that you can still get disposables that are fruit-flavored and sweet-flavored – so I've just been doing that. That was your workaround. That's been everybody's workaround. Uh, and I know this was done to protect the kids, but even kids aren't that dumb. They know that they can still get their their fruity flavors. And also um, they banned the rest of just Juul specifically was allowed to still do menthol and tobacco. And they banned Juul. There are still other cartridges you can get that are tobacco and um menthol like from com- other companies competitors yes so how does that make any sense why are they targeting jewel specifically the here? bottom line is that it doesn't make sense other than that jewel was popular jewel was extremely popular um but it stopped being quite as popular i don't really see anybody with the jewel anymore because there aren't as many flavor options and there are others that are disposable that have all the flavor options that you could possibly want i feel like and i'm not a legal expert, as we've established throughout the program right. today. I, I try to be well-read. On this stuff, I don't really know. But it seems to me that if the government is going to crush one company yeah. while allowing its competitors to continue, that seems not legal to me. That seems I, like I t- the source of a, of a really strong lawsuit. I totally agree. I think it absolutely is. I think Jewel made a mistake by folding so early and being like, yeah, we get it. Uh, because I don't get it. And I mean, I've actually been trying to quit vaping lately. How's that going? Uh, not well. I, well, I, I actually quit earl- earlier this year f- or like last year, rather, for about three months. Whoa. Then I started hitting it a little bit when I was out and then I was right back on it. And I quit for a week recently and now I'm back on it. I will always use nicotine. I love nicotine. Nicotine makes me feel good. Nicotine helps me focus. Um, I've actually seen that there are studies that like correlate between nicotine use of people who have ADD and ADHD. So I'm actually self-medicating myself with nicotine. I mean, I take Vyvanse too, but it helps. So I'm trying to use like lots of we're not like gum. we're not endorsing this. On no, the show listen, here. I'm like it's this also extremely you. addictive. So I uh, when I wasn't using any nicotine at all, I was sitting down at my desk and I was like, I I can't read. Like, it's, it's extremely you, addictive. You became illiterate. Yeah, I, I, I actually felt that way because I couldn't focus for a second. If they're going to do this and get away with it, I'm sure they'll be challenged. What's to stop them from just banning all of it, all of the vaping? I, nothing. And do you I, feel like that's what's coming next? I feel like that could potentially be what's coming next. I think that um, this all started because kids were, obviously, the, the lung issues from vaping with a few kids. But if you do a lot of research into that, That was black market weed, marijuana vapes. And um, they said that there was some nicotine vapes that had done this to these kids, but that was all based on self-reporting. If you're a kid and you're in the hospital, what are you going to tell your parents you were smoking? Nicotine or weed? Most of these kids would probably lie and say it was nicotine because a lot of – I forget what the name of the um, institute was, but they did a study. But those are children, so you're an adult. Based on the chemical compounds, um, the, the bonding that caused those lung problems wouldn't be possible in the way that they use it for nicotine versus THC. I'm just trying to figure out if you can just ban it for kids but not ban it for adults. It already for, is banned for yeah, kids. Yeah, so what's the limiting principle here, and why not just ban Alcohol, cigarettes? Alcohol, uh, cigarettes, every, any number of every, things. Any number of things. 
Um, the, I guess the argument was that the fruity flavors are for the kids and the kids like it. I'm not a kid and I like a blue raz or, you know, something that tastes like a mall smoothie. Um, I actually, uh, I don't smoke cigarettes anymore ever. Um, I'm, I'm trying to quit vape. Uh, nicotine is just, I, I want to try to do it in the healthiest way that I can. It's not good for you, but like, I don't really drink coffee, you know? Um, and it's very similar to that. It's a stimulant. Um, but I, of course, talking to someone like me is a little different because even if something is bad for you, I don't think that's a reason to ban it. I also think we should, you know, legalize heroin. Right. You're so, rich, yes. Again, not not reflecting. Somebody the, tweeted at me once. The they views really, of the host. They really thought that they got me. They were like, "So you're saying that we should completely legalize any drug, current or future, no matter how lethal?" And I was like, that, "I'm glad you understand. That is exactly what I'm saying." Yeah. So that's <laughs> a very libertarian view yeah. that I don't subscribe to. But again, you do. Yes. And So. This one is especially personal to you, yes. though. So I could just imagine you've been have you have you made up a bunch of placards? Are you going to go picket somewhere? I've I've said I've long said that I will be the black market, <laughs> but I wouldn't admit to that right now on the radio if it were true. Hypothetically, yeah, hypothetically, hypothetically, of many people are saying many people are saying you would consider it. I, yeah, it's just it's it's again it was a it all started because of the kids who you know had the serious lung issues. And you get people got hyped up in the emotion of that. None of that was from a jewel, but jewel was popular at that time as that was happening. Like, let's go get him. So let's go get him. But that was actually none of that was from a kid hitting a jewel. Kat, I'm going to ask you a question now, totally unrelated. That is not a good question for me to ask you as a radio host because we are here on the radio, not on the television. But I am just transfixed by your eye makeup right now. And looks I, great. I almost never notice women's makeup or hair stuff it's just sort of like okay they look nice and that's it but i am noticing i'm just sort of like my eyes look really green what is happening with this eye makeup can yeah. you describe it to the audience it's it's gold and like some copper tones and yellow a little bit because it looks like it's also fading mm-hmm. almost rainbow-esque but not the colors of the rainbow but i'm seeing different colors in there yeah shout out to mary my makeup artist she's a star i come into work every day looking like a 12-year-old boy. And I leave looking like naughty librarian Barbie bombshell. Like the person that walks into this building and the person that walks out of this building, you put those two people next to each other, you'd say there's no way. That's not. Like whenever I see those videos on TikTok of like, or even in the New York Post does it sometimes, like this woman is catfishing everyone with her makeup. I'm like, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) I don't look like this. K-A-T, fishing. Yes. That's what you do. Absolutely. Every day. Yes. Can you just close your eyes for a moment so I can get the It's gorgeous. I'm mesmerized by this, and I usually don't notice, and I'm very curious to know what Christine has to say about it a little bit later. What? what, You're looking at me like I'm weird. You just never comment on this type of stuff, so I can't wait to get a closer look. No, it is is a look, and people can tune in tonight on Gutfeld, exclamation point. Yes, you can see it, the way the gold brings out my beautiful green eyes. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Uh, Meanwhile... Let's get back to a topic that we actually discussed briefly on the show earlier in the week. Did you see the story about how I guess they're trying to figure out, and I guess they can, figure out how people can train their Amazon Alexa to learn real people's voices and then mimic it back within a minute? So people are saying, I'm going to have my Alexa in the voice of my deceased parent or something like that. I'm not a Luddite. I'm not a technophobe. I also have certain moments when I hear about new technologies where I'm like, please stop. Yeah, I I, I, I would never. Look, I got a dead mom, and I, I miss her, right? Uh, I don't. Blunt. I'm not interested in that, 
right? The thing that I miss about my mom is not like the specific sound of her voice that, because it's not her. Like, I think it's weird because it can, I, what does that do to the brain? I don't think it's normal. I don't no, think. And I don't think we know yet because that could probably mess with you. And I could, yep. I could imagine that there are some benefits maybe in certain circumstances, but there's probably downsides for people's mental health and they're just overall impression of the real world as it does or does not exist around them. Absolutely. And the, what would it do to a grieving process and, right. and those sorts of things? I don't think it, I think it's creepy. If you could hear that person sort of right. sounding identical to them all the time, even though it's not them. Yeah. I don't want to hear my mom's voice, that, that, but it's not my mom. I have memories of things she actually said. I have I've kept voicemails of things she actually said. Things right. like actually that. Actually, her actually her right. is a is, is pretty important to me in, ter- in terms of caring. Like I I think that's creepy. I think it's weird. I think it can mess with people mentally. But you do you, I guess. Cat Timp, Fox News contributor, co-host of Gutfeld, is my guest. We're going to take a quick break. Come right back with the home stretch with Cat here in the studio next. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. Home stretch on this Friday. It's the Guy Benson Show. Happy Friday. Thank you for tuning in. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. The podcast is free on demand every day. GuyBensonShow.com. Bonus Benson on the weekends as well. Follow us on social media at Guy Benson Show, Twitter and Instagram. And with us here in studio is Kat Tim for going a couple segments with her to sort of lighten up the end of the show. So, Kat, on that subject or on that note, July 4th, Independence Day, coming up pretty soon. I will be off that week here on the show. So just to give the audience an oh, advance time to prepare. They, they can prepare emotionally. Them. That's exactly yeah. right. I know that you listen to the entirety of the show every day. Oh, so, multiple times a yeah, day. You, you enjoy. All day long. I fall asleep to your voice every night. Yeah, we know. We don't have to tell everyone this, but now they know. So just so you're aware, I'll be gone the week of the 4th. What is a cat temp July 4th, ideally or typically? And how does that play into your personal conception or your personal truth of hot girl summers? Oh, every, every, every summer is a hot girl summer when you're this beautiful. Um, I will say that we're I'm, we're going to go to L.A. We're going to hang out with with uh, Kennedy. Oh, you're at the Kennedalia party. Yeah, we're at the Kennedalia party. This thing is legendary. Legendary. We went last year. We're going back this year. I have a friend because I lived in L.A. for like a year and a half. I'm going to get to see some of my friends there that I've you know remained friends with. Um, I'm going to take a red eye back Ooh. Monday evening and Whoa. come right to work and have the worst day of my life on Tuesday. That does sound <laughs> inadvisable. Oh, it's going to be tough, man. But you know what? Don't let your don't let your Tuesday ruin your Monday. I, I always say on Sunday, don't let your Monday ruin your Sunday. Uh, but it, it, it's going to be tough. Tuesday is going to be a tough one for me. I'm just sort of intrigued because I know you and I are both going to be attending another Kennedy-related yeah. party in the near future. But just give us a glimpse of the type of show Kennedy puts on on July 4th because I just hear little snippets bits and pieces and it just sounds amazing it's so much fun and obviously Kennedy's lived a million lives in such a short period of time 
Uh, so you'll have, you know, her Fox News friends there. And then, like, oh, hello, there's the bass player from Nirvana. Like, it's just, <laughs> you know, like, people, you know, who have, there's kids there, but then there's also, like, me. Uh, it's a very, like, people <laughs> Well, you use, are a 12-year-old boy yes, without yes, makeup, you yes, say. Yes, absolutely. It's People use the word eclectic a lot. I think that word should be reserved for Kennedy's 4th of July party. The collection <laughs> of people and the people you meet that you probably wouldn't meet otherwise just because, you know, she knows so many people and so many different kinds of people. Um, it's so much fun. I had the best time, and we're going back. We're doing it again. I have to ask you this. First of all, did you... Well, you already know the answer because you listen to the show multiple times every day. Right. But just in case you missed the one episode where we discussed this, are you aware or do you recall where I am going with Adam tomorrow? No. Okay, so I'll just refresh your memory, obviously, here. He and I were invited by a listener who is running the promotions for a concert tour for a band that basically I think every American has heard of. We are going to see them with VIP tickets we're apparently going to go backstage tomorrow night after the show. The Backstreet Boys? To, to meet the Backstreet Boys. It is? Yeah. The Backstreet Boys? Yes. Are you excited? I sort of am. Yeah. I mean, yeah. why wouldn't you be? Well, okay. Because it's not the 90s? My thought process <laughs> is I spent a lot of time in my early teens, basically, pretending not to like them. Got it. Right. But I do actually like a lot of their music. I understand there's this big rivalry in the fan bases between Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. I was always a Backstreet Boys fan okay. over NSYNC. Why? Because I thought um I thought AJ was hot. <laughs> I don't know which one that is. That's one of the Backstreet Boys. Yeah, the one with all the tats. Can you name the Backstreet Boys? I can do I can do Okay, I'm going to try Brian, Brian and I can do Nick. Nick, Nick obviously. AJ How was Howie? Uh, don't ask me. Howie was, is that right? All right, Christine confirms. And then there's like one more. Right? Or no. Was there a Kevin? Yes. So it's Nick, Howie, AJ, Brian, and Kevin. Okay. Well, between the two of us, we were able to figure it All out. All right, we got it. Yeah, we're true fans. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you, you're not anti NSYNC. No, I'm not anti NSYNC. But they're not touring, I don't think. And Justin's because I think his Justin's own... busy. <laughs> yeah, he's always busy. The other yeah. ones are like, "Hey, can we? Let's yeah, do it." Yeah, Justin is busy. What is your favorite Backstreet Boys song? Because I need to. I need to harness some of the excitement, certainly from Christine and other Backstreet Boys fans, so I can truly enjoy this experience tomorrow night, not just as someone who grew up during a certain period of time where they were ubiquitous. They were all over radio. There are some songs I feel like even if you don't know them, you know you them. You know them on accident, just right. via osmosis. It, that's right, through yeah. culture, through yeah. this like seeping into our pores right. as younger Americans. Do you have one song that you would be like determined to hear? No, not particularly. I think I would just drink a lot before the show. Because okay. then it'll be fun. You know what I mean? Like, nobody enjoys a Backstreet Boys song anymore, except if you're at a bar and you're kind of lit and it comes on and it's like, all right, this is dope. Because like, yeah. it's reminding you some sentimental stuff. Yeah. So I recommend that you drink. Okay. I will I will work on that. Mm -hmm. I think they probably- Start now. I think they might have that available. <laughs> Start at the now venue. and just keep going. Don't sleep. Well, the problem is <laughs> I have to get home to D.C. tomorrow and then get in the car and drive multiple hours to the concert. Oh. Now, we're staying overnight down there. So that's like the plus side. Yeah, gotcha. But I, I think maybe a few beers or something like that is, is a decent idea. I, I suppose. What was the peak of their powers? When was that, like year-wise? 2000? Yeah, 2000, 1990, 1990 98, 1999. How old were you? Like, where were you in school? 
Like middle school. Okay, yes, that's that's big. Those are formative years. Yeah, maybe elementary. I don't know. My life is. I forget. You know, I I remember how, more how, about like how I felt than what year it was. Okay. You know. That's fair. Yeah. Well, and part of it's because you know you're trying to get off of the jewel. I am, and it's and been so tough. It's hard to focus on things like it's been memories. Cat Timp, we will let you know how things go. I can't wait. I want live updates. BSB. I might put them on my Instagram story. Perfect. At Guy P. Benson, if my, you're interested. I'm going to stay home all weekend and just stare at your Instagram story waiting for just new waiting. ones, so don't let me down. Well, you can write some more beat poetry. I will. And maybe we can debut that another time here on the show. Excellent. Cat Timp, Fox News contributor, co-host of Gutfeld every weeknight at 11 on Fox News Channel. Tyrus and Timp is the podcast at foxnewspodcast.com. Also, somehow, we are friends. And Kat, uh, we love this very much. And thank you very much. Thank you. All right, we're done. Back here on Monday for a brand new edition of The Guy Benson Show. Have a good weekend. Stay safe. Stay sane. We will talk to you then. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.